Welcome, everyone. I'm here again with one of your favorite guests, Preston Dennett. Preston, welcome. <laughs> thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Always, always a pleasure. And thanks for uh, coming back on. So today we are going to cover the various species that have been reported by contactees. And if you find this information valuable or this episode valuable, please hit like and subscribe. And then if you've had any experiences, please feel free to enter it in the comments section. Preston, so you've covered this for what, what 30 years, 20 years, third, probably more like 30 years. 35, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so over 30, yeah, well over 30 years, kind of pushing on 40. In the accounts that you've seen, do you have a sense for what kind of the characteristics are of the beings that are most often seen by contactees? And then what are the kind of what's the variability? And, and if we go through each of the different potential species that you've seen, because, you know, for all I know, they could also just be different, different manifestations of the same entity. Who knows? Right. I don't want to make any presumptions, but from your perspective, what have you seen? Yeah. Well, this I've talked to a lot of people who claim to have seen what we would call entities, right? And this is sort of what kept me out of the UFO field, honestly, because I'd heard reports of people who claimed to have seen aliens. And the reports were all humanoids, you know, human-looking figures. I thought, well, you know, that's very Star Trek-y to me. I don't really believe this. And after I you know, found out that my brother had seen a UFO, my sister-in-law saw greys, my other sister-in-law saw short blue beings, and had a number of friends who had had encounters, people at work. This is how I got involved. And I looked into it, and I thought, okay, this is a real phenomenon. People are seeing these things, and they are reporting these entities. And I absolutely am convinced that they're not lying that they are accurately perceiving and reporting these things. And, and you and know that, that because there's certain things that are non-public that they mention that are consistent. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. And the first time that really hit me hard was when I was interviewing my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, who hadn't read any books on UFOs, you know, who, and this was at a time when it really wasn't saturating the media like it is today. She had never heard of greys. Greys were not something that was talked about right. back at that time. And she didn't even really interpret it that way. She, all she says, these were not human. I don't know what they were, but they were not human. And I said, well, describe them to me. And I had picked up a few. There was maybe a handful of books at that time describing what we now know of as greys. And she described five foot tall figures wearing olive green jumpsuits with very large oversized heads, extremely pale skin, huge dark eyes, almost no lips, very just a slit for a mouth, very, very small nose, no visible ears. Basically, what we know of is grays. And as I began to collect accounts, that's the one that turned up the most. I remember the second one. I got vividly was I was talking to a lady at work who I'd worked with for years and her whole family were seeing UFOs. I'm like, let me talk to them. And I talked to her daughter and her daughter's like, well, this, these things came into my room 
I'm like, what do you mean? She says, These figures. I'm like, describe them to me. She says, you know, honestly, Preston, I did not get too good of a look at them because they scared the daylights out of me. I'm like, well, just tell me what you saw. She said, well, they were short, very skinny, large, oversized heads, huge, dark eyes. I didn't see much more than that. And they said, you know, don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. And next thing she remembers is being inside of a rounded room and described what I've heard of, you know, many times of you know, being physically examined by what we would call grays. So I started to really interview people, and this is what I heard most was grays. And they generally are described very much the same way as being anywhere from three to four feet tall upwards to five or six feet, but generally four feet tall about. And often wearing tan jumpsuits, perhaps, sometimes silvery, but more often people will say, I'm not even sure they were wearing anything. They don't describe seeing you know, actual anatomy. So I'm suspecting that this is a skin tight suit. Mm -hmm. But always the dark eyes, you know, always the slit for a mouth, this, always the pale, pale skin, sometimes perhaps slightly bluish or tannish or white or gray, but along those lines. And uh, just this, it's a very specific description. And the more accounts I collected, I would say at least 50 to 70 percent or what we would call grays. And there's variation. Some will describe smaller, rounder eyes. Some will describe huge, huge wraparound eyes. Some said their eyes were not black necessarily, but you know, particularly on board a craft, there's some indication that these dark eyes could be lenses that they remove. Because many people who are on board the craft say that no, they have bluish eyes or green eyes even, or light-colored eyes. But the, the grays is, yes, by far the most common in my files. And I would certainly say that's probably true with most researchers. Mm -hmm. There's some disagreement about that. There was a recent study by the Free Organization headed by Ray Hernandez, and they did a survey with some thousands of people, and light beings came up, I think, is the number one category kind of surprised me because I've only got a few accounts of what I would call glowing bright white figures but I do have a few and those are also reported in humanoid in shape but people don't get a whole lot of detail because all they're seeing is something you might even interpret as angelic just a glowing white figure what uh, in what context do they see these things like in their room outside are there any cases when it might just be a different phase of reality in other words if they're the confused beings that they might see in the astral plane for these beings i don't know i'm just throwing it out there i don't uh, no no almost exclusively in the bedroom really i mean i don't want to say exclusively because on craft and sometimes outside but no usually and this is something that actually really surprised me because i was thinking about this not too long ago i'm like where's the most likely place to see an et your bedroom, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. People are going out there you know, trying to call down UFOs and have contact when really the most effective place might be to just lay down in your bed and call them in. 
Because the fact is, this is where most people are seeing what we would think of as extraterrestrials. And they're mostly greys. And when someone's taken on board a craft, that's usually what they will describe. That is the most common type in my experience. And now with greys, again, in the in the literature, or maybe even just in the in in the popular conception, are greys actual biological entities or like or artificial biological entities? I think there's the the example I can think of is the Whitley Strieber example of the grays gray bodies kind of piled like cordwood, so like they're like yeah. vehicles to be occupied. What's what's your view of that, or your what does the literature say on that? Yeah, I think that's research. accurate. Yeah, I think there are different types. Uh, there is an AI, artificial intelligence, biological android type being. And these can be differentiated from the others in that they are usually much shorter, three feet tall, and emotionless for the most part. And these are the people, as near as I can tell, who scoop people out of their beds often. And then they're taken on board a craft and they meet a five foot tall gray who does have emotions and is a biological being with, you know, odors, body odor, so to speak. Whitley Strieber talked about that. I did a whole yeah. research. Cheese. Yeah, which turns up, you know, people describe it as woodsy or sort of a cinnamon. Cinnamon's the other one. Cinnamon odor. Dolly talks about this. She's, I asked her specifically because she's very much awakened to her contact. She doesn't have missing time. She doesn't have fear. And I've got a full length book about just her experiences alone. She's an extraordinary person in terms of having contact. Can you just for the for the audience, can you just mention the book and where they can find it really quickly? Yeah, it's called Symmetry, a true UFO adventure. She's had contact since she was a little girl, really woke up to it at age 14. And since then has, I mean, it's the most extensive case. I've really had the privilege to investigate. And for that matter, even read about, honestly. There are people who have extensive contact, but a lot of them have recalled this through hypnosis. And she's got multiple eyewitnesses. She's got medical evidence. She's got a lot of photographic evidence. So her case. Well, she she also proved it in real time to you too, right? Because I know I know sometimes I've gotten pushback where people hear her story and and don't believe it. But I know that in your experience, you you've been with her physically, and like you you've you've had sightings when she was around. Is that that that's accurate, right? Right. So I've been able to vet it, her story to my satisfaction. Proving it to someone else is another matter, especially if they right. are, you know, a diehard skeptic. Really, the only way anyone's ever going to know is through personal experience. You right. can believe all you want, but you don't know anything until you've personally experienced it. So fine, be skeptical. That's She's not tra- telling her story to convince skeptics anyway. It's more to help people who are experiencing this or to you know contribute what she knows. But she I asked her about you know Whitley Strieber's account where he saw them stacked up like cord when she said, Yes, I have seen that. Um these she says they are biological androids. And this is something I've had a number of people tell me. She she was able to provide more detail than others. 
She's seen them turned off and on, seen them stored away in rooms and this sort of thing. And those look like greys, but they're short little guys, but otherwise identical to the descriptions that we hear. But the greys have the same variation that we have here on Earth in terms of humanity with, you know, very tall people, very skinny people, people with, you know, various head shapes and features and so forth, hair, types of hair and skin color. So we see that same variation among greys with people describing, you know, almost normal sized heads or even some with hair wispy hair perhaps but mm. you get a huge variation that's very similar to what we see here on earth so there's there's one interesting thing that I, i've had former military remote viewer dr david morehouse on on this show several times and we did cover episodes on remote viewing alien civilizations etc and what he told me, I don't know if it was offline or even or if it was on the show, but he says that he said, you know, I don't believe in alien civilizations. I know they exist because I've, I've seen them. But one thing he did mention offline that it was more of a curiosity to him. You know, kind of or an observation, not a curiosity, but an observation. He said in all his time and remote viewing the one species that he's never seen are greys he didn't have a reason for it he, he wasn't saying that they don't exist but it was just a, a curiosity so i just never I, i've never remote viewed them for whatever reason i don't think he spoke for his colleagues he was just talking about him personally any theories on what why that might be and again, I'm not coming at it from not believing because if people say that they've seen these things over and over again, I think it's there's a good reason to believe what they're seeing. Yeah, but, I couldn't even venture a guess as to why, you know, he particularly has, hasn't. Because most people who, you know, been pulled on board a craft or seen, report seeing entities talk to me about some variation of what we would call grace, for sure. But beyond that, there are, I mean, there are many types, and some are clearly not greys. I would say the second most common is just your plain old human-looking figure. Is, uh, and are we talking Nordics, or are we talking just something separate from what, what are traditionally termed the Nordics? They're yeah, they're termed Nordics. I don't like the term because it's not accurate. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, Pleiadian. And I'm like, well, mm, I'm not sure that's really accurate either. So I personally just call them human looking because they are essentially human in their appearance. But again, here, here are the same variations that we have on our own planet. I talked to a Native American, Stan Hughes, who had an object land right in front of him. He's had a number of encounters, but he had an uh, object land in front of him while driving along the base of Thunder Mountain in Idaho, I think near the Panhandle. and. His, his car stopped, you know, this thing comes down, it's a huge silver sphere and out steps a so-called Nordic. The reason I don't like the Nordic term because this guy was not Nordic in appearance. He was human looking, but he, Dan Hughes described him as having dark skin. And I'm like, well, how dark? He, says, he looked Ir Iranian to me, Middle Eastern. 
and he had long shoulder length dark hair very dark eyes the president this was an extremely handsome man i'm married he's like but this man was very good looking kind of went on about that so that was kind of you know funny and uh he described it as wearing blue boots i think or silver boots and a blue jumpsuit i'd have to look that up to be sure but i was pretty certain that's what he described very muscular which is very much in line with what people report there's another gentleman i interviewed michael carter who i'm sure isn't you know pulling my leg he's a reverend he is a really good man he was a social worker who was commended by president clinton for his work against racism he's african-american descent ancestry At any rate he had an experience he's seen grays he's been taken on board he's had missing time but he had an experience where he woke up and there was these nordic guys i guess you'd call them and in his case they were nordic blonde-haired blue-eyed a male and a female six and a half feet tall and as many people describe almost genetically perfect looking very beautiful very strong wearing jumpsuits and they sent a beam of light to him and healed him of a blood clot in his leg which he was being treated for that morning he woke up his leg was no longer swollen he went to the doctor it was a big deal the doctor freaked out it's a good case but you know pertinent here is you describe these figures that we call nordics another gentleman i interviewed who only allowed his first name to be used don he had an experience at leo carrillo beach in malibu where he saw what he described as mesoamerican looking people a group of them five or ten well closer to ten all very similar looking so similar they could have been twins or brothers and sisters that's another thing we see quite often when people see what we would call these nordics so they were five feet tall had you know sort of light brown skin very short hair and the men and the women all looked very similar and didn't speak it was a long involved encounter but they were wearing blue jogging type suits he said is how they kind of looked to him and he's also a lifelong contactee these are some of the accounts that i personally you know interviewed people and so this is the second most common type that people describe in my files i think that's borne out by people like barbara lamb or john mack or maybe not david jacobs so much who's really focused on grays or bud hopkins and but people who have interviewed a wide variety of contactees i think will end up getting a huge variety of humanoids and what percentage is that roughly in your files i haven't done a strict statistical analysis but i'm say it's a good 10 percent which and it's it's getting higher because i'm hearing more and more of these there was somewhat of a suppression of these types of reports because of the contactee era of the 1950s received a lot of skepticism and was almost pushed underground people thought it ended no it did not people were still seeing friendly human looking ets but the reports of grades really came hard and fast in the late 1980s and 
really really earlier than that, but became very popular due to the you know phenomenal success of Willie Strieber's book Communion, Bud Hopkins' book Intruders, and Missing Time. So a lot of people started reporting these. But yeah, human looking is very common. Travis Walton is a good example. He saw greys and what we would call Nordics and described them in the same way. You know, very tall, very genetically perfect, you know, in terms of being beautiful and strong, and very similar, almost twins. So that's the sort of details we get from those. But in your in your files, do people ever provide any detail on where these two groups might be from? To some extent. Yep. Dolly has been told flat out that they are from the Orion constellation. She can point to this specific star. Which I talk about it in the book. It's one of the stars below the actual Orion's belt. But Orion comes up quite a bit in a number of cases. The Betty and Barney Hill case, she asked them where you're from, and they kind of avoided the question. But Marjorie Fish drew a star map that Betty recalled under hypnosis and pinpointed Zeta Reticula. And that has come up in a number of cases as well. So that's certainly a possibility. I've had a number of contactees ask, you know, they say that they've asked this question. And one lady was told, well, you wouldn't understand. And another was told, it's not important. And another was told, we come from a place you don't know about yet. So they can be somewhat coy in their answers. And for that matter, some have said what I think are misleading statements in terms of like, we come from Mars or Venus or what have you. So I think there's some reluctance on the part of the ETs to reveal their exact whereabouts, perhaps or likely due to the fact that we are a fairly violent species who does have a hold of some of this technology and could present a danger to them. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too far down that avenue because honestly, that's still an open question as to where these guys come from. But yeah, Orion, I would say, comes up most. There, there's a few, like Andromeda. I'm like, well, that's a galaxy. You know, can you narrow right. it down a bit? <laughs> Which I don't think is super helpful. And there's all kinds of speculation. Like, are these time travelers you know, from our future? Is it us from the future? And I ended up scouring the literature to sort of back that theory up. And I just could not find any even anecdotal evidence as I would call it, a re eyewitness reports, observational evidence to support that, or interdimensional beings, yeah. or, or you know, beings that put on, are masquerading as ETs and putting on different appearances and pretending. And this That's the Jacques Vallée thesis, yeah. basically, right? Right, which I don't subscribe to. I think that's just... I don't know exactly what he's putting forth that theory for. I think he's trying to explain some of the bizarre elements and some of the symbolic elements in UFO reports, which is all well and good, but his theory is very anthropocentric. It's very vague. There's no mechanism behind it to describe you know, where these things come from or how they do this. And interdimensional, what does that even mean? We're all interdimensional. I mean, 
there are other dimensions and we as human beings reportedly do have a dream body a soul you know there's all the near-death experience reports ghost reports reports about out-of-body experiences which we've done shows on so there's an interdimensional aspect to i think all entities and all beings and all life i don't think it's helpful to call these guys interdimensional beings because we all are interdimensional and it doesn't preclude right. them from being extraterrestrial and the fact is if you look at the totality of evidence of this phenomena in terms of not just sightings and reports of entities but landing trace cases you know where the ground is actually burned or has radiation readings or where these things are photographed or appear on radar or people have medical evidence you know honest to god radiation burns that cannot be explained as you know exposure to anything else but as heavy duty source of energy i mean and for that matter the crash retrieval reports or the implant removal cases and there are a lot of them this is good evidence that we're dealing with extraterrestrials in the classic sense i think my point is that if you look at the totality of evidence it's the best theory which fits most of the evidence and it's extremely logical because here we are on earth we know we're biological beings on a planet i think that's pretty conclusive uh, it makes perfect sense that there would be others out there given how many stars systems there are and that people are seeing what look like craft with beings with legs and a head and arms and wearing clothes so i don't know it's not conclusive conclusive but i think at this point we know what we're dealing with we're dealing with beings from other star systems where exactly that's still an open question and i know i've asked you this many times but what are the what are the possible reasons for why they just don't come out and reveal themselves right well i'll just give you a list maybe but you know one could be some sort of much like star trek like a prime directive that prevents them from doing such a thing another could be they have some agreement with the us government another could be that we're like ants to them i don't think it's that but given the research that you've done do you have any inkling as to which direction that might be it could be a third like a fourth option that i even i didn't even suggest yeah well i mean it's not pure speculation to say that there is something of a prime directive in terms of non-interference because this is what people contactees have been told that no we can't upset your society it's up to you to evolve to the point where you're accepting of our presence without attacking us i think it's one of the main reasons is us our own violent tendencies to destroy or fear anything that is different so we're quite <laughs> prejudicial in terms of just someone's appearance and i think that is probably the main driving force behind why we haven't been quote welcomed into the galactic community so to speak there is an active cover-up as well that could play a powerful role because there are you know there's not more than just rumors i mean there's reports of open official contact in terms of et's meeting with government officials 
I'll point to the Eisenhower meeting at Edwards Air Force Base in 1954, which, if you look into it, has got a surprising amount of corroboration to it. And in short, that's where supposedly or allegedly human-looking ETs contacted Eisenhower and other groups in high in the military-industrial complex and pushed for open official contact. And we said, no, we don't want to do that. We want your technology. And they said, no, you need to stop messing around with nuclear power. You're endangering not only yourselves, but other areas you're not even aware of. So that could be one of the reasons we're not having open official contact is because our governments don't want it or are trying to prevent it. I don't know. I hate to speculate in this field. The fact is we're not having open official contact. And uh, it, I mean, we've had heavy duty displays like the 1952 or was it 54 flyover of Washington, D.C.? Yeah, 54. And where the you know, people are like, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, they practically did. Yeah. They were caught on radar. They were seen by pilots, air traffic controllers, people on the ground, photographed. This was very widely viewed. This was what UFO researchers call a display. They were showing themselves on purpose. They are to an extent, already, you know, announcing their presence. But yeah, I think there are several driving forces behind why they're not just landing. But again, that's, to an extent, speculation. I can't tell you contactees have been told, no, we're not doing this. You guys need to grow up. You need to stop polluting. You need to stop killing each other. You need to start hiring people within government who are truthful and transparent. (laughs) It it seems to me it's just getting worse in government. I mean, like it's, and, and to some extent, it also seems that even the government, particularly elected politicians have no idea. Like they're just, just being lied to. Yeah. I'm sure there are people within government who are perfectly aware and people who are in the loop too. Well, yeah, uh, people but, in special access programs, right? I'm, I'm but, sure like, that's where a lot of the knowledge resides. But the vast majority, no. It's changing. I mean, we did have those congressional hearings, and we, you know, there are people talking, they're aware of the subject now. And anyone, you know, whew, watching that congressional hearing was a very disappointing. I, mean, I could go on and on about that. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> well, the thing is, though, like, no, none of the people in Congress are really. Like you have to be dogged and you have to, you kind of have to know how some of these programs work, right? Yeah, but you could pick up just about any UFO book and know that there's something to this phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, it's not hard to to research this. There's a million people out there who've seen these things, literally. So, (laughs) okay. Evidence is there. So going back to the original premise of the the episode because we you and i could go on and on about speculation about what's what's really going on so you have the grays you have human like what what else have you heard reports about from contactees yeah this one is really interesting to me praying mantis (laughs) et's Mm -hmm. and 
I know how that must sound to skeptics. And, you know, I, I can only apologize and say, sorry, that <laughs> this is what people are reporting. You can't ignore the evidence and people are reporting seeing figures that are very similar to the praying mantis insects we see on Earth in that they have, you know, triangular heads with large bulbous eyes, very skinny stick-like limbs. The only real difference is they're reported to be anywhere from, well, usually six to nine feet tall. Certainly taller than that in some cases. And in some I, cases I'm, shorter. I'm guessing they don't have like an exoskeleton. It's probably that would, in terms of like an insect, because an insect has an exoskeleton because they're small enough to support it. Yeah. The people I've talked to could not tell for sure, but they said, no, they don't think so. I mean, I'll, I'll just run down some of the reports I have. One guy comes from Kevin Cannon, a Navy medic who was pulled on board a craft and it was fairly scary for him, as you might imagine, even though it was not in any way a negative experience. It was just very traumatic. And he saw these things and he says, one walked up right to him and he said, this thing was more than twice my height. He's slightly over, you know, he's like 6'2". And he said, this thing was 15 feet tall. And I started to second guess him a little bit. I'm like, are you sure? You know, how do you know that? And he's like, listen, it was more than twice my height. It was like looking up at a basketball hoop. This thing was almost three times my height. And I'm like, okay, what did you see? And he said, they were bone white in appearance, very long stick-like limbs. They moved with jerky movements. They had huge triangular-shaped heads with eyes the size of bigger than his head. So it was about a basketball size. They oozed intelligence. He ended up having a fairly long telepathic, which is usually the case, conversation with them. And Did they have antennae like insects? No. Okay. That's no no one's reported antenna, not to me. I think probably there are a few accounts out there. But his was a I liked his report because he's a Navy medic. You know, this is someone who's got military training. He's a trained observer, he knows his aircraft. And he gave, I interviewed him a number of times. I put him on the radio. He went on a couple of TV shows and never did his story change. He would add a few details here and there, certainly, as people do. Yeah, he was a good witness and described very much what other people have seen, except in his case, these guys were very tall. There was another lady I talked to who headed a UFO group. And I'm like, well, you know, why do you head this UFO? You know, I spoke there. This was in Thousand Oaks, California, I think. It's like, oh, I've had contact. I'm like, oh, I would love to interview you. And she described these same praying mantis beings who she walked into her bathroom one evening and there they were. Scared the living daylights out of her. It was not a pleasant experience by any means. And she said they were six feet tall and not graze praying mantis, almost grasshopper-like, she said. Did not get a great description of it because she was so, so darn scared. One lady, one of my favorite cases ever, was a teacher from O'Fallon, Illinois, who in 2006 was jogging with her dog outside her home. This is a rural area. And she wakes up at 4.30 a.m. to go jogging. And her dog stops on the road. This is, I think, Kyle Road was the road that T intersectioned in front of her. 
I actually located the exact spot, you know, on Google Maps and verified all the details she described, which was important to me, a streetlight, because it's figured in her story. She looks up and about 100 feet away was a figure walking down the middle of the road. It's a, it's a rural road, right? No cars at 4.30 a.m. And her dog's watching it too, so she knows she's not losing her mind. And she thought it was a man on stilts with extenders on his arms at first glance until it walked under the streetlight and it reached almost to the top of the streetlight. So she has a fairly good way of measuring its height, which she says was close to 15 feet tall. She contacted me after re reading Kevin Cannon's account. And she's a teacher. She gave a very lucid interview, both written and oral. And she said it was mottled green in appearance but gave the same description, very, very slender body, extremely tall, you know, long stick-like legs, which were at least six feet strides, little arms that kind of hook up like the praying mantis do, almost like a, a begging dog, if you will, and did not see her, apparently, and just kept walking down the street. And she ran after it after it went by, I was kind of surprised to hear her say that. I'm like, really? She says, well, yeah, I was curious. She said, I'm like, okay. And she watched it and it turned off into a cornfield. And I asked her, you know, why? Why there? Why do you think? She's like, I have no idea. There's nothing there. There's a school, a cornfield. So the only thing I can think of is that we're not too far from Scott Air Force Base, which I thought, oh, you know, hmm, because they are implicated in a few UFO reports to it degree but that's the praying mantis got a number of reports like that of uh, these praying mantis type beings and is this orion similar similar location or no information no information on where these guys come from but they're sometimes seen in conjunction with grays and human looking in some cases yeah i've got many reports of these guys this is a common type it's in the, in, again about 10 percent i'm going to say 70 60 to 70 grays 10 to 15 human looking and praying mantis and another catch-all category well there are some other specific types short blue beings my sister-in-law saw those and she's an artist i had her draw them and I've since shown are these her the ones that 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 whitley straber describes as like the mean like mean right like yeah, short little troll-like okay. things. And yeah. if you look at his movie Communion, where they did a representation of them, the, the, the figures in his movie are strikingly similar to what my sister-in-law drew. I mean, really close. And I showed this picture to other contactees who's like, oh, yeah, I saw short blue beings. I'm like, hold on a second. I have an illustration I'd like to show you. And they're like, oh, my God. That's very much what I saw. I showed it to Dolly. Because she did see them. And she said, yes, that is absolutely very close to accurate. We didn't get too much into tall grays, but, you know, there are short grays, medium-sized grays, and tall grays. So these short blue beings are a very specific type that turns up fairly frequently. And another is tall whites. Well, going back to the, sorry, the, 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 the blue ones, the small blue beings, what's to this streber 
characterization that, that they're unpleasant, I think, is the way he described them. Yeah, well, Strieber, each person reacts to this, these, this experience often with very strong emotions. And Strieber had a lot of fear surrounding his encounters. He admits this, you know, and I think this is part of the reason he was initially a writer of horror fiction, because <laughs> he had been dealing with a lot of fear. And certainly if you read his book, it's terrifying. It's one of my favorite books out there, I will say that, on the subject, because he's an excellent writer and describes very vividly, and I think accurately as well. But I think when someone has a very strong fear reaction, your immediate go-to is, this is bad. I don't like this. This is evil. This is bad for me. This is scaring the living daylights out of me. And I've asked contactees over and over again, like, you know, who have had, you know, this is horrible. I think they're demonic. You know, I think they're evil. I'm like, what happened to you? Well, they looked at me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did they actually hurt you? Well, no, but, you know, they had an evil, they were looking, the way they were looking at me, I could just tell. I'm like, but they didn't hurt you. What did they say? Don't be afraid. We won't hurt you. Over and over again, I hear that phrase, literally word for word, with slight variations, like, have no fear. You, no harm will come to you. So the very, you know, most evil thing, quotes I've heard is people being laid out and they're like protesting as they are undressed and examined. But no one describes what I would call sadistic behavior or outright torture. Where the ET's going, I'm going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. No, that's just not what's going on here. And for the first year or two I was involved in this, I was horrified. My people are being kidnapped against their will. These are bug-like creatures. They have no regard for human compassion. And there is some aspect of them not understanding people's fear. I mean, that well, that's, as you noted, like the, the AI grays don't have emotions, right? Yeah. And certainly that does turn up where people are like, these guys had no compassion. Well, yeah, those were the AIs. And Whitley Strieber is like, yes, the Greys asked him, what can we do to stop you from screaming? <laughs> you know, they weren't evil as we would think of it. When someone's kidnapped on Earth, it rarely ends well. Uh, here, people are being healed. I've got a book on that. One of my books is, you know, 300 cases, people who are healed. And these are supported cases with doctors, you know, diagnosis before and after, x-rays, the whole deal. I mean, some people have sent me their medical records supporting like a cancer cure and things like this. I'm working on another case right now of a guy who was healed of a hernia. He's got his doctor reports. So my point is people might have a strong fear reaction and that causes them to label this as bad or evil. No, the little blue guys. I asked Dolly about this. It's funny because my sister-in-law, Christy, says, oh, no, I thought of it then as my friends. I enjoyed it when they came. And they were re recording her memories. They were interested in her perceptions up to that time. And Dolly says that they often contact children, and they try to help them with their fear. And they're very friendly. She said she thought they were really cute, actually. <laughs> uh, and I've had a number of people describe the grace, but being very lovely, very cute. I interviewed a guy just recently at an encounter with, in Canada. It was some years ago. He had it as a teenager, but he saw a gray 
outside while hiking at night and he stopped and he, you know, his eyes went wide and he put his head forward and he stared at it. And the gray did the same darn thing in an exaggerated way. Kind of like he, he and it went <laughs> at him. And then he shook his head and the gray did the same thing, kind of mimicking him in a playful way. He said it really reduced his fear. And it was just being funny and playful. So I've come more and more to that sort of side that no, they're not here to hurt us. It can be very scary for people, but often your fear will color your perception. And uh, now you were starting to talk about the tall whites. Yeah, tall whites, I think, came into fame with the reports from Charles Hall and his books, Millennial Hospitality Series. Charles Hall's an army weather observer who was in Indian Springs, Nellis area of Nevada, and reported seeing essentially human, but not quite, you know, tall, very much human looking, but very pale skin, very large eyes, uh, very slender. When I say tall, yeah, six, seven, eight feet tall. And these are some with hair, you know, often described as very white or blonde. And eyes are usually bright in terms of, you know, bluish or green or along those gray, along those lines. But very nearly human features, but clearly not human because they're very odd looking. But these are called tall whites. And I don't have a whole lot of reports of, of them, but I have some. Dolly's, Dolly, you know, I keep coming back to her because she's had a lot of extensive contact and has been introduced to a number of these guys. And that may sound unusual for one person to see, you know, so many species, so to speak, but it's really not. Jay Gardner, he's another contact. He's like, yeah, I've seen a bunch of them. Another lady up in Maine, she doesn't want her name used. I call her Lynette. She's seen human looking. She's seen grays. She saw short little, she called them grasshopper type. (laughs) Yeah, it's not unusual for people to see multiple types of ETs, particularly if they are repeated contactee who's being continually taken on board. And the reason this is, just real quick, is because it appears that these guys are all in concert with each other, in co- cooperation. They are working together. They're all very telepathic. That's the universal language. It's almost without exception how communication is done with ETs. So it could be that they are much more closely related to each other and us, for that matter, than we realize that they all carry the same sort of genomes, the genetic material. Dolly says that that is absolutely true. She says, you know, they are us, we are them. And when she said that, I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go again. Because that's a very, very common message among contactees. Another guy, Don Anderson, he saw greys. He saw praying mantis ETs. He saw human-looking ETs. He's a really nice gentleman who has gone on the lecture circuit, has written a little bit about his experiences, but did allow me to interview him and gave a great interview and described the same thing. He had a very extensive encounter with praying mantis type ETs and had he, you know, grays and human looking ones as well. So yeah, there's grays, there's tall whites, there's little blue beings, there's praying mantis. Then we get to the catch-all category, and this just, I don't even know where to go with this. 
because people will describe to me absolutely unique humanoids. And I'll give you one example, a guy from Canada who had an encounter with his friends, by the way, they only remember seeing these figures from a distance and had missing time. But he walked right up to them. He said they were 10 feet tall. I said, 10 feet, really? He's like, well, maybe nine. But I had to look up to them. I'm over six feet tall. This is the one where they had like the really kind of creepy looking faces, like like old. I mean, not creepy, but old. Yes, exactly. He had the impression they were very old, thick skin, very wrinkly skin, huge, enormous eyes, dirty teeth, (laughs) large noses. They were wearing shiny black jumpsuit types, things with a high collar and gold-lined irises, blue and gold-lined irises. Very peculiar looking. Slicked back, dark hair. Very odd looking. And he insists up and down. They were, you know, nine, ten feet tall. And I've never heard anyone described anything like this. But you hear of this. It's in the literature. Just what I would call humanoids of varying description. And I'm wondering what's going on here. You know, is it like Dolly says, there's just this human genome throughout the universe and it's all dials up differently. And there's evolutionary variations. One lady, she's had lifelong contact with grays and had an experience where she found herself in this what she perceived to be an underground chamber. This is a housewife from Nebraska, you know, no reason for contact that she can think of other than it's, you know, in her family. But she described this nine foot tall humanoid. And the reason she contacted me was because she wanted to hear someone else describe what she saw. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I've never heard a description like what you're telling me. And she said, this guy was wearing, again, a dark suit with a cape. Capes turn up in some of these humanoid cases. And we saw this guy walking down a corridor towards her. She was laid out on a table, and he entered her cubicle, so to speak, and said, all right, Jill, it's your turn. And that caused a huge fear reaction. She's like, my turn? What? You know, what are you talking about? But she said this guy was nine feet tall, broad-shouldered, a human-ish face in terms of eyes, nose, and mouth but an extremely large jutting chin that was inhumanly large, an oversized forehead, enormous size, and says it wasn't even hair on his head. It looked like straw, and it stuck up three inches straight up. And when that turned up in the Carl Higdon case, he described a normal-sized humanoid, but it had orange (laughs) hair sticking straight up. So... This is what I would call the catch-all category. And I could go on and on with different types of humanoids. But they always have two eyes, almost always a nose and mouth and you know, ears and two arms. You know, we're not getting people with six arms or anything or tentacles or this sort of thing, which is kind of what I expected as a skeptic, you know, as a science fiction fan. <laughs> Well, there's one that you didn't mention that, you know, in the cultural zeitgeist is pretty commonly referred to, and that's the reptilian sort of, you know, 
body type species, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Have you ever had any accounts of those? I have. Not a lot. You know, and that's close in my files. I'll preface that as two percent maybe. And then what do I have? Like five cases maybe. And some of these are people who did not consent to a formal interview. There was a lady who did the lecture circuit, Pamela Stonebrook, I believe was her name. And she described a reptilian who would come into her house at night. And he was friendly, which was unusual because that's not what I usually hear. So Barbara Lamb, another prominent researcher, claims to have had contact with not only greys, but a reptilian. And these are described as generally six to eight feet tall, very large, a lizard-like face in terms of being scaly and something of a snout, though usually shortened, large, sharp, carnivorous-type teeth, sometimes a tail, sometimes not, broad chest, very reptilian in appearance in terms of eyes with slitted pupils. There was one guy I talked to who was an army officer, and he had a confrontation with what he believed reptilian humanoids. And he said it was about seven feet tall and twice as wide as a normal person, scared the living daylights out of him. And he was with a group of other soldiers who were confronted with this being was apparently, this is a strange story, cooperating with in within military circles. And they marched one of these guys up to him, and all the other shoulders broke soldiers broke rank. And he didn't. And this thing walked right up to him and I asked him to describe it to me. And he actually began weeping as I was interviewing him. I'm like, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, it's okay. You don't have to. He's like, no, I want to. I want to. But I, I can't give you a good description because it scared me that badly and I didn't want to look. But he said they did, it had reptilian eyes. It had reptilian skin with little scales on it. So I would call that a reptilian humanoid as opposed to your straight up reptilian. One lady who saw reptilian, she reported in the forest. Now, I've got a couple of reports that no UFO was involved whatsoever. So, so what's the difference between a reptilian humanoid and a reptilian? A reptilian has claws and, you know, a full-on reptilian face. Whereas the guy that I interviewed, who I call Ramon, he, he would allow his name to be used, but I elected not to because he's got a large extended family. And I just didn't think it was right to expose his identity and subject his whole family to all of this. And he described him as being very much human features, except for the eyes and the skin and the general size. So there's some hybridization aspect to some of these beings. We see that with grays, half human, half gray. And for that matter, a number of the others as well. But yeah, reptilian is definitely one of the types who I might not call extraterrestrial necessarily, but crypto-terrestrial, in that according to the buzz or the rumors, no one's been able to determine what star system they're necessarily from. 
but according to some contactees, they're from here. I've interviewed a lady in Florida. She does not allow her name to be used, and she's absolutely convinced that they are survivors from the reptilian age of dinosaurs. Dolly says the same thing, too. That's what her belief is, that they could be what we would call, I don't think she likes that term so much, crypto-terrestrials, but not extraterrestrials as we would think of them, you know, coming from another star system. But yeah, there's a researcher, his last name is Rhodes. I forget his first name. He's really specialized in those reports. William Rhodes, Bill Rhodes, I forget his first name, honestly, but he's collected a bunch of these reports. And let's Except, let's save that. Let's save that. Let's save all this this stuff for the next episode about other <laughs> phenomena. Because there's, you could probably potentially throw Bigfoot into that category, maybe like yeah. Sasquatch, those sightings, or little robotic beings, or tall robotic beings, robotic beings. There are light beings again, and short little hairy humanoids, <laughs> which do come out of UFOs. There's a lot of reports from South America, for whatever reason of that, whereas Europe and Russia and it's much more prominently humanoid, human-looking reports. But it's worldwide. Grays, you know, there's they're all humanoid, which I find very, very interesting. Is it is it all carbon-based life forms, or are there potentially like silicoid or silicon-based? No evidence of that. Yeah, by all accounts are probably very, very much like us. There, are, I mean, there was a guy in Australia who apparently got a hair from us, what we would call a Nordic, and that was tested and turned out to be, have some very unusual properties in that there was absolutely zero color to the hair, it was almost translucent, and it ended up being somewhat genetically similar to, gosh, I'd have to look it up. There's a book called The Hair of the Alien, by Bill Chalker. It's about Peter Corey, I think is his name. At any rate, he described having this hair sample, which I believe was Scandinavian, mostly in origin, which was quite unusual. I mean, there's some genetic evidence, but so darn limited that it's inconclusive and statistically insignificant in terms of being able to truly study this stuff. But yeah, I suspect that they are genetic, carbon-based beings, all of them. Any other beings that common? Is that, is that? Oh, yeah. Have I've you covered had, most of it? I talked to a lady from the Midwest. Her name is Sue. She described a cat-like being. And I put her account in the back burner because I'm like, no, no. She's like, this was a four-foot-tall cat-like being with fur. And, you know, kind of claw-like hands. I'm like, hmm, this is really unusual. And, you know, I eventually got more reports. And it's in the literature. There's some speculation. These are Lyrans from, you know, the Lyra constellation. And I asked Dolly about this. And she's like, well, yeah, I did actually see those once. <laughs> she got to walk up right next to them. I'm like, you're kidding. She's like, no. And she described them in detail. And... There's another type of being which is much like a Anubis, I guess, from Egyptian mythology. Dog, like dog-like, basically. Yes. And there are numerous reports of dogmen here on Earth. 
I talked to Linda Godfrey, the main cryptozoological researcher who's looked into them. This is the sort of thing people have reported, dog-like beings. I mean, it goes on from there, it really does. There's the Anunnaki, winged beings. And Dolly reports seeing those at one point. She was taken specifically to meet them, which was a really extraordinary story. I have not talked to anyone else who's described that personally. There are reports out there of you know bird-like beings, for sure, which I, again, put on the back burner until I started getting more reports. And this is just a lot to swallow for a lot of people. And me coming as a complete skeptic was caused, you know, I had a lot of trouble with it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this was very hard for me to accept initially. But after you really dig in and do your research, you know that there's validity to these reports. And I'm not willing to throw away evidence simply because it's anecdotal and is unsupported by, you know, hard physical evidence. Uh, because there is hard physical evidence to support the existence of UFOs, which you know we already briefly mentioned in terms of mm -hmm. you know landing traces and so forth, medical evidence. So it just is an endless variety of humanoids, which is kind of what I think we would expect if given that we are humanoids with wide variation here on this planet, and we know we can't be alone just through sheer logic. So we right. would expect there to be variations. And the humanoid form appears to be the template. This is why I actually, you know, in my latest book, Symmetry, that I was going to call it Dolly Among the Stars, because, you know, her story is so amazing, or she's out there, you know, seeing all this stuff. She wanted to call it Symmetry, because this is what she was taught. There's a symmetry to life throughout the universe, and that all these people are basically humanoid in origin. And that we did not evolve on this planet, which you know I kind of wondered about myself. There's a book by Ellis Silver called "Humans Are Not from Earth," and he puts forth an argument that we're not really well adapted to this planet in terms of temperature and diet and so forth. And he makes some good points. It's certainly largely speculative, but I thought it was really interesting because, given that there are human-looking beings being reported coming from these ships that are coming down and visiting our planet that raises questions about you know our relationship to them and for that matter our own origins all right preston with that but thank you again for coming on the show and this was as always a fascinating discussion so hey. see you in the next episode my pleasure thanks sean if you enjoyed this video hit like and subscribe and i'll see you next time